The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. We turn our attention this morning to the end of Luke chapter 8. As we've considered this chapter over the last several weeks, we've noticed how it began with some particular teaching by Jesus before then moving on to some particular activities undertaken by Jesus. So the teaching, first, initially, it centered on the need to hear the Word of God properly, to hear it, to take it in, so as to understand what the Word of God is teaching us about who Jesus is and the salvation that's being provided in Him. So it's taught. And then in the following series of events, Jesus Himself is displayed for us, shown in front of our eyes so that we can see Him and can, can, watching can understand him and the salvation that he brings. What we are to understand in particular from what we're shown here is his authority. His authority as Lord, as master, rightful power and ruler over nature. That was first, verses 22 to 25, as Jesus calms the storm. And he is Lord over the demonic and the supernatural, over evil powers, That was next, verses 26 to 39. Jesus led this band of disciples, as was already mentioned earlier today. They sailed through the storm across the Sea of Galilee to the east, and going there, they did so deliberately to to meet up with. Jesus was pursuing, seeking out so as to save a particular Gentile man possessed by demons. And as Jesus meets him and casts out this demonic army, sets this man free from evil, We see him freeing from evil back to God. That's what Jesus is doing. He has authority and power to do that, to free us from bondage to evil and turn us back Godward. That's what we considered last week. Only this gracious work from God, this grace of God come in Jesus, only grace can do that. Not something that we do, and it's not the grace of God combined with something we do. It's not 85, 90, 95% grace of God, 10, 5, 3, 1% us. It is a man in bondage, dead in sin, set free completely by the grace of God in Jesus. Jesus has authority over evil, and seeing that, the second part of last week, seeing that and remembering that is what drives in us glad-hearted witness to him, because we reckon, I am just like that man in bondage to evil, and grace, grace, grace was poured on me, even on a wretch like me, to save a wretch like me. And we marvel at that and are moved by it. And witness, like did for that man, witness comes out of us as, as that reality of saved by grace from bondage and evil back to God, my home. As that lives in me, it comes out of me. I move to speak of him and to trust him. And at that, we're ready for the final section in, in this chapter. More of the authority of Jesus is on display here. What we're seeing here, as you consider all these sections, is we're seeing Jesus in authority over every inch of human existence. Over the natural realm, over the supernatural, the spiritual realm, and now this morning, over even our very bodies. Over us, ourselves. 
materially, physically, our health and disease and death. He's Lord over that too. This Lordship of Jesus is on display here this morning, and it's supposed to to kind of be the culminating point in this series that then leaves us moved to the appropriate response. Humble, surrendered, trust, faith. So let me read the passage. I'm going to begin in verse 40 and read through the end of the chapter. And then I'll make two observations along those lines this morning. This is beginning in Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned... The crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all the crowd denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the mother and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Luke chapter 8. I'm going to make two observations, one regarding Jesus and his power, and then one regarding us and our response to that. Here's the first one. Jesus alone has power over all that threatens and takes life. Jesus alone has power over all that threatens and takes life. He's returned back across the Sea of Galilee, and he finds again that on the Jewish side of the lake, on the the western side, there is again large crowd looking for him. They're all eager to see him, and in the midst of that crowd, he's approached by a synagogue ruler named Jairus. And being a religious man, a religious leader in the community, he's of some standing, and so it says something that he comes falling on his knees in front of Jesus. Remember, not all the religious leaders like Jesus. 
But this one has a crisis. He's got a 12-year-old daughter on her deathbed. A crisis. And he knows to come to Jesus. And he comes and asks him for help. And Jesus agrees. And while on his way there, he bumps into another 12-year-old problem. Or rather, it bumps into him. This woman has had this physical disease. We're not told exactly what it was, but she has had a bleeding problem for a long time now. And obviously, since she hasn't bled to death, it's not life-threatening in that sense. But in another way, it is very life-threatening and destructive of life because according to the Old Testament law, as long as she bleeds, she is spiritually unclean. Which means she's not allowed to participate in the religious life of a, of a very religious community. She's ostracized from the religious life and from people who themselves, fearing becoming unclean by touching her, are not going to interact with her. So she's alive, but she's got this great problem that leaves her an outcast, unable to participate in life, unable to commune with people. And she's tried. No doctor can do anything about it. She's probably destitute now as well. She is an outcast from society, a, a living dead person, perpetually spiritually unclean and on the outskirts. These are the two issues that Jesus encounters. A disease of some sort, don't know what, taking the life of this woman even while she lives, and then death itself taking the life of this girl as she dies. And she did indeed die. It's important to establish that. Some folks have been confused by this, looking at what Jesus said where he mentions in verse 52, do not fear, she's not, do not weep, she's not dead but sleeping. Some people have wondered, well, was she in fact perhaps in a coma or something like that? No, she is in fact dead. We'll talk about why he said that a little bit later. She's dead at this point. The messenger that comes confirms it. Don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. When they arrive, the mourners are present. When someone died, mourners, official mourners, it was their job to mourn. They would be summoned and they would come and help lead the weeping and the sorrowing. They're present and they're underway. They're weeping. That's why they laugh at him when he says she's not dead. They knew, they knew death better than we did, better than our society does. They knew death when they saw it. She's dead. And of course, for us, it's confirmed later when we see verse 53, 55, her spirit returned. Her spirit had gone from her, spirit separated from the body, and it comes back. She was, in fact, dead. The adult woman, in a way, dead. And no one can do anything about any of this. These Two issues, health or negatively disease and death, they are, they are gut check issues for us. They are things that we face and deal with and are familiar with how they feel, the pressure of them. Probably more even than we are aware of and threatened by, by nature out there and more than we are aware of and threatened by demonic supernatural forces out there. Sometimes we forget about those things. Or they they kind of sit separate from us, but, but health comes home. Disease and death comes home to us. 
It is not hard to think about. Issues of, of health and debilitating illness or disease, whatever the origin, genetic, hereditary, environmental, things you catch, things you're born with, we, we have all of it. And even when it doesn't literally kill us, it feels like it's killing us. Those afflictions that are seemingly just as destructive and just as painful and just as frightening to live with them as it would be just to die. It's not hard to think about things like birth defects or blindness or infertility or, say, Crohn's disease or stroke paralysis. HIV, AIDS. And I could spend about an hour, couldn't I? And, 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 and. Because it's all there, and we have it all. Some of that stuff's in this room right here, and, and maybe I didn't list the thing that you're particularly dealing with, but we deal with it. It's, it's all part of, of life in this fallen world with these fallen bodies. And I haven't even mentioned what happens as our bodies begin to age and decline and all the difficulties we face there. I'm lumping all of that together under the generic word disease. I know they're not all technically diseases, but under disease. And disease to us is painful and sometimes crushing and it is worrisome and sometimes terrifying. And it is reality all through life. We are afflicted. Sometimes suddenly, and we find ourselves in a moment, suddenly confined to a room or to a wheelchair and denied a joy or a freedom that we did, we used to at least, and everybody else still does, just assume. It's just normal, but it's lost to us. And now we've got to carry on, continue on with this affliction, this burden. Life taken and on top of that, often with that comes some sort of, sort of social stigma or social ostracism. You get a label, you get childless put on you, crippled put on you. And sometimes just because of awkwardness, people don't know what to say or they're afraid of saying the wrong thing, they, they kind of stand away from you and don't talk to you and don't interact with you. It's awkward, maybe they're worried they're going to catch what you have maybe physically, or perhaps it's due to some bad karma or some spiritual issue going on with you. I don't want to be a part of that. So there's a distance. Not only are you, are you ill and suffering from that, but now you're cut off from society around you. You're suffering from that. You have it or you don't have it and you're worried about getting it. Worried about a loved one getting it. And consumed with either having it or the fear of having it. And all the effort involved in dealing with it or dealing with avoiding getting it. It is not hard to see, and is, this is the reality of many of us, that health, disease, issues dominate our existence. And at the end of that, coming on like a freight train is death.
death. I know none of us are going to die, but people you know are going to die. Right? Death. And there's not a thing we can do about it. And there really isn't a thing that the modern God medicine can do about it. Not in this story. She tried all the doctors. Not today either. Now, very carefully. The modern God medicine. My doctor's in the room. I'm thankful for medicine. We should be thankful for modern medicine and medical technology. Bless God for it. Okay? And it's hard to know which is the more dominant religion of our nation, politics or medicine. Because we, as a people, live convinced there's something they, the doctors, should be able to do about this. Surely they should be able to fix this and hold at bay this problem or resolve this problem, and in fact, it's my right to get it. I'm thankful for medicine. Men and women, the modern God medicine is not God. Jesus alone has such power. There's nothing at all that we can do about go to the doctor, go to the gym, eat healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do that too. But so often we pursue all of that as if it is God, as if I can take into my hands whatever it is I need and all of it that I need to sustain my life, to hold my health secure and to keep disease and death at bay. And it cannot happen. It cannot happen. Only Jesus has such power. Only Him. And that's the issue in the story here. There is certainly a compassion element. He certainly deals with both of these, both of these situations very compassionately. We, we see in how he speaks to each of them, how he holds the girl's hand. Certainly there is compassion there, but the issue is one of power, authority. That's what he says when, when he senses, someone touched me, verse 46, I perceive that power has gone out from me. Not compassion, not love, power. It's about who has power. And later, when he speaks to the girl, he calls and the Spirit comes. That's authority over not just this body in front of me, authority over the Spirit that's left. He has authority to command and it obeys. It comes back. And she gets up. And it is absolute and immediate power. We're told that twice in 44 and 47, and then, and then speaking of the girl, at once she got up. There's no time delay. It just happens. Such is his power, his authority. Disease and death obey him. 
So we see that right there. That we should take from that a couple, a couple of things. One, encouragement and care. A careful consideration and an encouraged consideration. Encouragement, this is a problem we all face. There's one who has it. Be encouraged by that. All of this, all of this is real for us, is about to be real for us. If you're not sick yet, you will be. And there is one who holds it in his hand, not because he or she has MD after her name. All the doctors in the room, and there are plenty of them, thank you. But I'm going to say this like a hundred times today. Let's be clear. God holds life in his hand. And we should be very thankful for that. And it should be something that we say, oh, bless God, that here is a clear picture that Jesus is Lord over all that afflicts me and over all that's coming down on me. He controls it all. <sighs> because in the moment that you face it, it feels like it is totally out of control. And when they say there's nothing more we can do, there is one who can. He reigns. Bless God for that. And consider it carefully because we know, don't we know, don't we know? He has power over disease and death. And sometimes he doesn't use that power to do what we really, 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 really wish he would do. This woman's healed. But sometimes people aren't healed. Sometimes he lets diseases sit for 12 years or for a life. And this girl got up off her deathbed, but most people don't. Right? That's true. That's true. We must remember that while he holds in his hand authority, absolute authority, there, there's no tug of war. Will she be healed or not? Mm, yes. No. Will the Spirit come back or not? I'm going to haul it back to her. No. He commands, it comes. There's no tug of war here. He holds absolute authority. He holds everything in his hand. And as we rest in that, we must also reckon that, and if he does not do what I so desperately hope he does do, if he does not do, it's not because he couldn't. He didn't lose the tug of war. His authority and his power over disease and death in your life is also held, he holds authority over it, and he also is a God who's not just a God of authority and power, but he's also a God of wisdom and a God of love and a God of justice. And all that is held in a wise and good tension as he interacts with you and whatever disease or death or illness you face. We may never understand why he doesn't or why he does But we should know, you should know, who it is that does. Who? You may not understand why, but you know who. You know, you should know, you are meant to know. Do you have ears to hear this? You are meant to know who this Jesus is. Even if you can't understand why he didn't, 
I so wish he would have. Why didn't he? You know who he is. What he holds up in front of you is, I am in authority, and I am good. And when I decide, when, when I determine that this course of events will happen, and this one won't, it is on my authority that I decide that, says the good and gracious king. You can trust him in that. Which brings us to the second point. The second point, the natural fallout from this passage is this. Faith alone, in this Jesus alone, saves life. I'm going to work on this because it may seem like what you're just saying that sometimes it doesn't save life. I'll get there. Faith alone in this Jesus alone saves life. In each of these two situations, Jesus made an important summary statement. First, after the deliverance had just happened, and then second, before it was about to happen. He says to the woman, verse 48, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Which closely resembles verse 50, key elements of verse 50, spoken to Jairus. He hears his daughter is dead. His heart collapses. And he says, do not fear. Only believe. There's the faith element. And she will be well, the saved element. Of course, in both of those contexts, He's talking about physical, bodily, made well healing. One from this disease and one, in fact, raised from the dead, from physical death. So in that context, what he's talking about is exactly what we were just talking about. His authority over the physical maladies or the physical life problems and issues, the health issues, and the fact that he's going to fix them, make them well. So we should read that and we should, we should rest in his lordship over our physical well-being. Absolutely. But there's more being hinted at here. There's more being modeled for us here. Like in the New Testament again and again and again and again, as we have seen often, things happen and they really truly do happen on the physical realm, in, in the, the tangible this earth realm, that are meant to point us to something else. An example, an obvious one. He heals the blind, they see, and they really do physically now see. And that's always meant to point out, he heals the spiritual blinds so that they spiritually see. Repeatedly we see that in the New Testament, same thing going on here. Something going on here in this story that is meant to draw us past, to draw us on past what we so easily get fixated on because the issues of health and disease and death so strongly resonate with us. They grip us. They won't let go of us. They, they are so important to us. And Jesus is trying to, the Bible is trying to show us here something that says, yes, but, and points us beyond, points us above to something else. 
to take our eyes off of what so often grabs us and consumes us. We so often, even we in the church, let alone out in the world, we so often think that if I can just be healthy and strong, then I'm good. And that's not true. There is more to life, more to life, what we can physically touch than how our bodies work. There's more to life even now, and certainly there is more to life in the life that is coming. And he wants to point, graciously wants to point us on. So looking at this passage, we would notice this right off if we were reading it in the original language and we read verse 48. It would sound very familiar to us. If you realize that the word translated here, made well, is also the word translated saved, how you put it depends on the context, then you'd realize, oh, that is verbatim, that is word for word, the same thing he said to the woman at the end of chapter 7, just one chapter before. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your faith has made you well, go in peace. Identical. If we were reading that in the original language in back-to-back chapters, the context would come along with us. Problem is, we're reading it in English, it looks different, and it's been a few months since we were in chapter 7. So you've probably forgotten. But if you're just reading this, it would take you about five minutes. And you'd see. Oh, it's the same words. And what was the context? What was the context? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we'd automatically bring in some of that context in our minds. We'd be reading with a context. And then we'd also notice, he says to her, daughter. Almost certainly, given Jesus' age and given the length of her disease, almost certainly she's older than him. At most, just a couple years younger. Not, not young enough to be his daughter. He calls her daughter. An older woman, most likely. What's going on there? And he ends with, go in peace. So even if in her immediate context she heard, made well as in my disease is gone, calls her daughter and tells her to go in peace. And go in peace is not just a have a nice day sort of greeting. She's on her knees trembling in fear at this point. He uses the word trembling. What's she afraid of? She's healed already. She knows that the disease is gone. What's she afraid of? How do I stand with this Jesus who is the Lord of power who just healed me? How do I stand with him? Am I on his bad side right now because I just, maybe, maybe I just did something to him that he's not happy about? How do I stand on my knees, trembling? And he calls her daughter. Go in peace. This is the language of intimacy, of relational intimacy. That should also make us think of, what did he say previously in this chapter? Maybe you have to turn the page back. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He uses family language to describe the people of God. Daughter. Family connection language. Go in peace. You are not under anger. You are not under wrath. You are not in danger. 
go in peace. Joined to me as family, as my child, at peace with God, loved. This is more than about just physical well-being. It should point us on make us think about spiritual well-being. Life saved in that sense. And that certainly is what the raising of the, of the dead girl is about. He said to the mourners, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Well, what's with that? Everybody knows she's dead. What's going on there? Well, what Jesus is doing there is being intentionally opaque, intentionally unclear. He's using a euphemism. Sleeping often, you can read it in the New Testament, sleeping often used to describe death. Somebody's fallen asleep, they've died. But he's trying to cloud the issue here because he doesn't want something known yet. He knows she's going to get up and she's going to walk out. Remember, there's a massive crowd of people here. And Jesus' ministry, for larger reasons, is not yet ready for a massive crowd to see him raise somebody from the dead and take him on into places where he doesn't want to go yet. That's why he tells the parents, you know what happened, don't tell anybody. Let's leave it a little bit opaque, a little bit vague. Maybe the crowds will conclude, well, maybe she was just sleeping. Maybe we were wrong. He wants to cloud the issue so as to block it. That's what he doesn't want them to see. But we are clearly supposed to see, no, in fact, she was dead. We're told her spirit came back to her. What he doesn't want them to know is what Luke, this passage, very clearly wants us to know. In Jesus is not just authority over physical death. In Jesus, the resurrection of the dead begins. Jesus doesn't just deal with living people. That's what they think. She's dead. No hope. Forget about it. No. Jesus' ministry goes beyond the grave into the spiritual, into the next life. He's going to call that spirit back. Just like one day he's going to call all the spirits of his people back to the bodies of his people and raise them all bodily from the dead. The resurrection is in Jesus. He doesn't want them to know that yet because it's going to create lots of problems for his ministry. But we, as we read this, are clearly supposed to see Jesus raises the dead. Jesus has authority over not just living sick people, but Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. He calls back spirits to bodies and raises them again from the dead, just like one day He will do for all of us. This is meant to call us Christian as we read this. We're meant to look at this and say, Yes, indeed, he has authority to make well physically. But let that point you on. Let that, let that pry you away from the thing that so often tends to draw our attention and, and to make us really even consumed with our physical health and well-being, how we're doing. Let this draw your attention on to, to something else. Christian, the greatest thing that Christ has done for you 
The greatest thing, we should celebrate all the good things, all the blessings that he gives us in this life, but the greatest thing he has done for us is modeled here in the physical. It is the fact that he has spiritually, has already spiritually delivered you from death to life. Just like in in every situation that we've seen in this chapter, the authority of Jesus is shown in the physical, and it is a good thing. Bless God that he is with you when physical dangers from nature face you. But the best thing he has done is he's promised to deliver you to a world that is new, that has no physical danger. Bless God that he protects you right now from from demonic attack, from from pressure all around you. But the best thing he's done is deliver you from evil into a, a communion with God that will last forever where there be no more evil. Bless God that he controls our physical health, our physical illness, our physical death, absolutely. But the best thing he's done for you is deliver you from death completely. Let this point your eyes towards that. Draw out from you celebration of it. This is the most important work of God, and it is the most glorious work of God, that he has authority to and actually has saved you from death to Life with him in a place free from evil, a place free from all fallenness, a new heaven and a new earth forever. That is good news. That is good news. And it comes to you after faith. After faith. Faith comes first. Faith is the important element Humanly speaking, he says here, your faith has made you well. But we need to be clear, of course, that faith doesn't actually do anything. Humanly speaking, faith is important. It's Jesus who does it. Jesus heals, not my faith. But why is faith the thing? Because of what faith is. This is why the salvation of God from death to life, this is why the salvation of God for eternity pivots on faith alone and not on anything that we do. Because faith alone, and only faith, faith by itself, and only faith, is the humble posture, it's humble, that declares the trustworthiness of the promiser and holds out open hand to receive. Faith alone, and only faith is like this, is the humble posture that declares, in that posture, declares You are trustworthy. You keep your word. So I expect from you. Faith alone. I'm not hedging my bets. I'm not saying, and that's not faith. That's not the humble posture that declares the trustworthiness of the giver. When I throw in the and, I'm saying, and just in case, or and along with, because what you're going to give isn't good enough. Nope. Faith alone. Faith alone. And only faith says, 
I sit humble. I think you are trustworthy, and so I expect to receive what you will do. And that'll be enough. Faith alone in this Jesus, the Lord over every inch of human creation, faith alone in this Jesus alone saves us from death to life. Even just a small faith, even just a slightly missing some of the details faith, this woman evidently thinks that she has to touch him. She thinks she has to touch him, and she thinks, I'm unclean, he might not touch me. I, mean, I know he's laid his hands on everybody that he's healed him, but maybe he won't do that for me because I'm unclean, so I'm going to sneak up and touch him. So you got some things wrong there. But she comes to Jesus believing he has power to heal. I go to him. Jairus' heart collapses because he thinks she can only deal with, he can only deal with living people, not dead people. No hope. But when called to believe, he believes. He hangs with him and continues on. Small faith, imperfect faith, faith in Jesus, in this Jesus. An old illustration often told is helpful here. You've probably heard this before. It's been told lots of places. Two people. A frightened man who doesn't understand the science behind freezing and water. Frightened man doesn't understand the realities of science and steps out onto a lake covered with two feet of ice. Frozen over with two feet of ice. And a confident man boldly runs out onto a different lake covered with an eighth of an inch of ice. Who stays dry? The barely believing frightened man or the bold, confident man? The barely believing man who believed in the right thing, who stepped onto the right lake. It's faith in this Jesus, faith, even a small faith, even a faith that isn't quite certain, but is a faith because it steps, is a faith that says, you, this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, I hold up my hands to you and receive from you what you do. I hope that works. It does. And the confident one that boldly steps into error sinks. Faith alone, in this Jesus alone, saves. This Jesus, the one of Luke 8, who is in authority over all things, who is the perfect Son and the Almighty God. Take care that you don't let the afflictions of life, that you don't let the pleasures of life choke out or deprive this, this, little, this little growing plant of, of nourishing water. Take care that this word get choked out, burned up, that you hear with ears that hear and you persevere in faith. Even little faith, keep trusting him. It is easy to let the afflictions and the troubles of life, particularly those related to health, cause us to stumble. Sometimes they draw us to God and sometimes they drive us away from him. 
So as you sit in the middle of, maybe you sit even right now in the middle of something that's like this passage, some disease or some ailment or, or looking at death itself, and you sit there and you wonder, God, I want you to, I want you to, but you haven't yet, and maybe he won't. How do you deal with that? In faith, you look to him with open hands, humble, believing that he gives what he says he gives. And you hear from him often, daughter, son. I see you in your grief, and I see you in your pain. Know that surely I have borne your griefs and I have carried your sorrows. I see you. I understand. I see you cast down and hurt. No, please, no. I'm a man of sorrows and I am acquainted with grief. And I bore in my own body all the chastisements that fall on you. I bore them myself, both your sorrows and your sins, and I carried them to the cross. I myself went into the grave and I came out of it that you might live. Trust me. Faith in this Jesus saves you from death, saves your life. Beginning even now and moving on to forever. Do you believe? Trust Christ to save the Christ who is Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. You sent him as a man. A man who walked the earth afflicted and left the earth bruised and crushed and killed. And then rose again triumphant over it, promising the same to us who believe. So Lord, would you grow in us a rest in this and would you draw our eyes onto you and in so doing, Lord, put all of our physical diseases and ailments and pains in perspective. Give us hope in the middle of them and give us hope for what lies past them. Or if there are, are people, and I'm sure that there are people in this congregation today, particularly who face very hard things, physical things, would you draw near and encourage them that you hold it in your hand and that you hold them in your hand? Speak to them, daughter, son. Speak to them tenderly. Remind them of your familial connection to them, of your love for them, of your tenderness, and of your command over their lives and your promise to save. Maybe to save them from, certainly to save them through what they face. Speak powerfully to your people, Lord. Build them up. And in so doing, honor this Son who is Lord.
And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.